Send the boys to Cinnamon, episode three. Oh, uh, Ennies boys to Ennies men. Not planned. <laughs> no, we know. Not we didn't. planned at all. That wasn't planned. No, we didn't. No, not at all. <laughs> we didn't. I uh, hope you're well, uh, yeah. wherever you are. As one would have guessed from our uh, short yet incredibly witty rebrand, we're <laughs> going to be discussing Ennies Men this week. Yes. A film from uh, writer-director Mark Jenkin, once again returning to Cornwall on the cinema screen. Ooh. Moving away from Bait, which was sort of more of a socio-economic story of Just divide. Cl- yeah, class divide. Yeah, and- class divide and the sort of demise of Cornish, I guess, history, identity and industry. Yeah, yeah. In the presence in- of... Globalisation. Holiday makers. Yeah, that's what I yeah. meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And uh, this time, however, he moves into a story more about Cornish folklore and mythology. Yeah. Chiefly through the horror genre, or the folk horror genre, which yeah. will also be an area of discussion mm. as we talk about its resurgent popularity and a few of our favourite examples. Yeah. Sure to be a belter. Questing the cinematic void. So then... Folk mm. horror, uh, a subgenre of sorts that has become incredibly popular over the last sort of five or so years. Yeah. Um, chiefly because of two filmmakers, you could argue. Yeah. Uh, Ari Aster mm. and Robert Eggers. Yeah. And we'll go into a discussion about their films a bit later on. But I guess the question I want to put to you, <gasps> Ben, is what is it about folk horror that has appealed to so many people, certainly over the last few years? Mm, okay, yeah, so you've got to think of films like Ennies Men. So you've got Kill List, you've got A Field in England, Don't Look Now, The Lighthouse, Men, The Wicker Man, stuff like that. Just like, just spitballing a few examples. Okay, there. yeah, no, good. Um, but I always think, I think that a lot of these films have like a, I don't know, like an extraordinary sense of place, right? Sense of setting. So maybe more so with The Lighthouse and men and the wicker man okay but like folk horror always to me seeks sort of envelope its audience with its setting okay i always find so like uh, it's usually a rural setting kind of like untainted by the sort of clutter of civilization but also an understanding that the natural world is a place filled with uncertainty and sort of danger okay you know, th- yeah right things that we don't perhaps don't understand and can't identify with anymore so the the setting is sort of burst with history Right, uh, but not kind of crucially, not with any kind of uh, the kind of history that's well documented. So you get more a history of like superstition and like witchcraft and like religious fundamentalism, that okay. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's not it's not like the Tudors, you know. It's more like things that weren't written down. Okay, and I always find that like folk horror films sort of seem to anchor themselves to to that. Okay. Side of history. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I always feel like um, that's sort of where a decent folk horror film gets its scares and its sort of foreboding atmosphere from. You know, like from from like an undocumented time, or at least scientifically undocumented. So yes, it sort of kind of taps into your fear of the unknown, I guess. Um, so it's like feeling I associate a lot with the the Blair Witch Project. Okay. It's a kind of controversial choice, maybe, but... Well, it's funny you should say that, because you, you mentioned that before we started recording, that you always said it kind of tentatively, as if I was going to sort of immediately shoot you down. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a fan of the film, so by all yeah. means. Yeah, I mean, like, aesthetically, Ennies Men, or Ennies Main, I should say, is a lot different, but the tone and the feeling I actually actually found to be quite similar, strangely. So, oh, okay. 
I don't know, it's weird to... You can't really describe the feeling, so I'll just call it... It's like a witchy feeling, you know what I mean? It, it's witchy. That's the only way I can describe it. It's, it's, it's unsettled. Apt. It's certainly apt. Witchy feeling. <laughs> Partly, I think, the resurgence of the genre is sort of down to economics, because, you know, you're like to, you're only taught at film school to never shoot a film in the woods, because it's sort of considered a cop-out. Okay, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. agree with that at all, but... Yeah, it's like the same thing. It's like there's always those that group of boys that wants to do a gangster film or yeah. something like that. Yeah, but it's just in the local woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, or but, in their or their university halls. Room. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the reason why that that sort of setting is so um, attractive is because it's cheaper. Partially, yeah. after films like you know The Witch and Kill List, I think the industry's realised that there's a section of audience kind of hungry for that that sort of witchy feeling still okay um, yeah and actually audiences still admire the respite that that kind of comes with a rural setting so it it's, it's simultaneously cheap but it's also has carries with it a sense of prestige i feel like um, um yeah 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 so yeah like you say we're seeing this more and more recently with films like midsummer men and the lighthouse um they're all a24 releases which is a studio kind of renowned for its focus on placing small bets on budding filmmakers. If they lose, they, they lose small, right? But if they okay. win, they win big. Yeah. It's a great way to work. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably... I think that's partially why it's it's kind of... it's It oiled its gears a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic response actually yeah great one uh, i really like the idea how the sort of how aspects of mythology at least feel undocumented yeah and i think that's such a a big part of the success of these films is that sort of attaching themselves to an era or or a sense of place that yeah. we all feel in us mm. i think what i love so much about certainly more contemporary examples indeed the some of the older examples you mentioned there with wicker man which i watched for the first time this week in preparation uh, yeah. so i'll give you my thoughts on that later of course but yeah i think it's this idea of how mythology has sculpted the way in which we make sense of the world around us okay yeah in the sense that so much of these early civilizations and societies had a lot of things that they couldn't quite work out yeah and mythology was a way of trying to understand these things yeah. And even though we have come a long way since then, that sense of mythology is still sort of residual. It's still there within us. And I think it still has a place yeah. in our society, not just in the formation of our rules uh, or our anxieties, but mm. sort of as a place of interest, yeah. which is also, I think, a reason why some people are drawn to these films. Yeah, definitely. I mean, folklore is, is the backbone behind stories still told to this day. Yes, like you know the Grim Tales, which became Disney films, and yeah, y they're everywhere. Like it or not, like religious superstition, <laughs> sort mm. of it sort of ignited, or it has historically ignited the sort of the fire of the the kind of the tale. I guess the yeah, I don't know what the right word to describe it is. The yeah the the, the campfire stories. I guess. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that, that's the right word. I think. Yes, agreed. Mm -hmm. There's something comforting in that as well. I think. Yeah, definitely. And I agree as well about that notion of, of there's there's something being more of an economic reasoning for it. I think this idea that they're perhaps a bit cheaper yeah. in some cases. I mean, I don't really have the budgets of the more recent examples to hand, but I think in terms of a studio like A24, who have now become very much a sort of darling of of, of um, the sort of cinematic landscape, a lot of people 
see that logo and they get excited. And that's not happened for a long time for a sort of like another film company to come along or film production company or distribution company to come along and sort of have a presence Mm. that almost upsets the balance of the mainstream studios. And, you know, comparable to studios like Warner Brothers or Universal, the the money they're putting in is almost nothing. It's yeah. it's about I think the lighthouse is about sort of five to ten million. Okay. Um, Which in the modern landscape is chump change, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally next to less than the catering budget for Fast and Furious, probably. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Gotta feed your family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, no, I just I think it's really interesting what A twenty four have done recently and they are Oh, it's it's strange. Just when I was researching for this, um, I, I do my research. Yes, evidently. <laughs> it's just that they kept cropping up, and funnily enough, I mean, Annie's Men isn't from A twenty four at all. I don't think. No, um, no. But it's. I think that company have really bolstered the resurgence of folk horror more so yeah. than any other company. I think if it's not going to come from A twenty four, it's going to be coming from companies that want to jump on that or ape that. Yeah, Blumhouse or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess ape might have a negative connotation. And and mm. it's certainly the case of Ennis Main, it's, 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 there's nothing negative about that because it's very much a continuation of the genre's um, deserved sort yeah. of uh, popularity in the sort of in the modern... Mm. modern time yeah um but i think you're right in terms of it's it's definitely initiated this trend um and i think i mean a24 in general a lot of their popularity seems to have stemmed from horror films hasn't it really i mean a lot yeah. of their big hitters oh definitely, i know they're sort yeah. of starting to fan out i know they were involved obviously with everything everywhere all at once yeah yeah um, and so obviously they're they're getting more confident and as they rightly should mm. they're still making great decisions yeah um but yeah no I, I just think it's an interesting sort of side note to mention them and how yeah, they seem to have almost this sort of fanfare that seems to almost spread further than like real film fans. Like even people that aren't that into films know who A twenty four are. And yeah. They will purposely go out and watch one of their films because yeah. they've got a sort of pedigree now, mm. which I think is really fascinating, really interesting. Definitely. Um, let's talk about a couple of examples then. Okay. Where would you like to start then, Ben? You hit us with one. Come on. All right. Okay. Go on. You're gonna like this one. Uh, I want to talk about Kill List. Oh. I really want to talk about Kill yeah. List. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So Ben Wheatley, 2010, doesn't dress itself up as a folk horror film. I mean, the DVD case does, but you start watching and you're like, this is like a family drama slash hitman caper film. Yeah. And there are throughout, but throughout it, it's peppered with like odd, odd, really unsettling moments. There's just like an off kilter Mm. feel to the whole movie. Yeah. I think it's, it's sort of testament to both uh, Ben Wheatley and his partner um, Amy Jump is yes, it that, that she right. co-writes the script with him mm. or all of his scripts I believe yeah just throughout there's just this constant sense of unease yeah isn't there even I mean I we spoke about this quite a while ago but the I think that despite the film being unrelentingly grim thematically and incredibly violent at points sort of sickeningly so yeah yeah um one of the most excruciating parts in the film is that dinner sequence quite near the start yes that sort of really sort of sets up the stall of the movie in terms mm. of that sort of sense of unease you're going to feel not just in violence or in theme but in sort of general atmosphere energy yeah, yeah. And energy yeah yeah which a lot of folk horror films rely wholly on yeah that same yeah. energy and it's so odd to have it come from like a modern dinner party setting i think it's essex or something it's just so oh, is it yeah yeah um but it, yeah, it, it creeps up on you the the folk 
the folk aspect of it really does kind of seep in unnoticed. Yeah. Um, and by the time the ending happens, you're drowning it, and it's too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I love that film. I'd love to talk about that more. Actually, that film. What I love so much about the way the film utilizes the folk horror, horror elements before we move on, actually. Oh yeah. Is yeah. just that it sort of just almost happens right near the end of the film so mm. you get this sense that it's always hidden away because yeah. it's almost like the this this group is sort of almost goading him into this into this position isn't it isn't yeah. he, where they can do whatever they want with him yeah um and and that's sort of that's throughout the narrative of the film but it doesn't really sort of unleash that until right near the end and mm. i remember the first time i saw the film i mean i was fucking completely absorbed because i think there's one thing certainly early ben wheelie can do mm. is absorb you in the most fucking god awful sort of <laughs> corners of the human condition and yeah. you are completely sucked in and there's just you can't get out and a part of you wants to but a big part of you doesn't want to and mm. and then for all of a sudden for these sort of spoilers you know <laughs> sort of people with these wickham face masks dancing around the fire to turn up out of nowhere but it feels completely it doesn't feel um sort of um tacked on it feels completely mm. sort of necessary and, yeah. and essential to the narrative yeah. because of that sort of sense of unease and because of that the way that it's sort of almost sort of sprinkled throughout the narrative yeah like that moment when he's in that kind of motorway travel tavern type place mm. and there there's a uh, the um the ex-girlfriend of michael smiley's is it michael smiley? yeah michael smiley yeah, yeah. uh the ex-girlfriend of his character is just outside waving at him. Yeah, like, yeah. What the fuck is that? Yeah, and it do- yeah. and that that's why it doesn't feel tacked on. I, f- I find it's just no. moments like that are just like okay, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I mean, I, I adore early Ben Wheatley a great deal, and mm. I really hope there's a return to form for him. Yeah. Really, because, same because he's for for a long time he was one of my favourite filmmakers. This side of the pond, I oh. felt. But you know, we all have our duds, don't we? Yeah, so, yeah. And I'm sure it'll come back. I'd be interested to know what people think about some of his newer films. Maybe another podcast another time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to talk about The Witch, if I may. Please do. Uh, the Witch for the... That's enough. No, Jake. <laughs> no, no, go on. Uh, the Witch is the defining example of a film that sort of explores how powerful mythology and folklore is, mm. not just in shaping people's understanding of their immediate environment, but also as a tool of control. Okay. Yeah. So, obviously, this is set in—is it New England or that yeah. sort of that sort of area and era? Undocumented New England. Yeah. Sort of time where Home, homesteaders. Sort of, yes. Yeah. People who obviously wanted to flee uh, what they perceived was this sort of oppressive rule set in mainland Europe fled to mm. this newfound land to create their own society and their own rules. Yeah. And as this family spearheaded by the patriarch who is devoutly religious mm. almost too devoutly religious even for the community that he's lives in uh yeah so this because at the start of the film he they're sort of um uh, sent off aren't they they're they're removed they're outcast, from the community yeah, yeah outcast that's mm. the word uh and they go and start a new life on a um well a fledging farm on the border of a very sort of uh un- unnerving patch of woodland yeah yeah um <laughs> and what i love so much about the film is how it how it taps into how folklore was used as a method to control not just the behaviour of everybody, but with a special focus on women. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, the idea that there's this sort of pursuit of purity that seems to be more placed on the shoulders of women than men. Women aren't sort of allowed to sort of um, 
entertain desire, yeah. for example, uh, be that sexual mm. or or any sort of any other aspiration. Yeah, <laughs> no, be. even just general enjoyment. Yeah, it seems that, that this sort of these sort of parameters and it and you sort of talked about that before in your um, introductions to the, why you thought these films are so popular. It's the way it sort of fuses mythology with religion, and almost yeah. like they're one and the same. Yeah, both sort of methods of control. Mm. Even though people are terrified of of what's in the wood and yeah. witches and all of this stuff, it's not far removed from the relig- from the religious sort of doctrines that are supposed to keep these people on the straight and narrow. Yeah, I mean, it's all because they they, they deal with the same subject, which is the unknown. Yeah, and they're both about people not knowing stuff. That's why these things exist. Yeah, and so. That's yeah. That's why those two things, mythology and religion, go hand in hand. I feel. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sort of brings me to a thought. I remember reading uh, a, a book. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, pretty high An audio book. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and it was about this idea of moral panics, mm. and it had a section where it focused on the witch craze in Europe during the medieval times. Okay. But I feel like, I mean, with absolutely no. Uh, sort of uh, expertise or knowledge on the subject to yeah. any degree. <laughs> I feel like it is somewhat comparable to the to the witch craze yeah. in uh, New England. Basically, the authors of this, this book theorised that the rising popularity of sort of like fear of witches and the resulting crimes, which are often burnings, hangings, basically murder. Yeah, yeah. With very little basis of evidence, as mm. you'd expect, yeah. as witches obviously aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> um, the idea behind this theory was that it was a way of almost pushing women back down. Okay. As women were sort of their role in the family was becoming more, perhaps more prominent than it, than the powers that be being, you know, the patriarchal uh, religious society mm. wanted them to be. So this idea that, that, that demonizing women and creating this idea that any woman could be a witch. Yeah. Um, any woman was capable of great evil. Um, and it creates this sort of religious fervor that make, that sort of justifies the sort of yeah. large scale murder of many women. Um, it's just an interesting side thought. I thought was interesting to explore because I think it links quite nicely into the ideas of this film in the sense about the idea of oppressing um, freedoms in this pursuit of well, this mm. ultimately fruitless pursuit of perfection. Yeah. And but and what does that sort of what are the the parameters of perfection? Who are they decided by? Mm. You know the by religion yeah. which in itself as we said is the pursuit of the unknown yeah I think that's fascinating that because I mean you, you kind of link that to um, Salem witch trials as well which is much more of an, an American reaction to witchcraft and mm. it's just the acts of violence that occurred mainly hangings were just so senseless and so unthinkably unspeakably violent that and that's carried that kind of echoed through history to the point where it's such a horrible but fantastic thing to make a horror film about yeah which is just and yeah. that's why i think it elevates you know just off the top of my head like scream 3 or something not a folk horror film no and then you've got something like um i mean it's unfair to compare the two but you've got something like midsummer or like a field in england and it, it's just the sort of the themes are so potent, and yeah. you know that definitely derives from historical occurrences like Salem witch trials and the yeah the witch craze in in Europe as well, definitely. And I think it speaks as well to a more contemporary, a still contemporary notion that it is always worthwhile being sceptical 
of mm. these belief systems in terms of trying to understand what exactly it is who seems to gain the most out of these sort of decisions mm. and these sort of long-standing instructions that seem to be bestowed upon a, a group of individuals and yeah. followed in some cases to the absolute letter yeah definitely which I, I don't know I just think that's a, that's a great a, one of the best I think that's for me when I really started stood up and took notice of folk horror Oh, really? was, was with that film, yeah. Yeah, with the witch. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess it was something that maybe just sort of putting the genre to a film and thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This, this is why people find this scary. Yeah, this is why it's here because it is a film of pretty grim moments. But it, mm. I think it's that sort of use of theme and history yeah. and mm. silence and quiet. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no sense of wanting to sort of please the audience through the expectations that have long been cultivated in the horror genre, you yeah. know, for, for violence or, you know, and I'm not saying that's... The revelation that neg- of a monster or yeah. something like that, yeah. I'm not saying that with negativity, by the way. Like, I fucking love, like, slasher films or that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I think if you want films that have got a bit more, I guess, thematic richness to them, mm. without sounding like a twat, <laughs> um, I think folk horror has really sort of achieved that, and I think... Eggers is someone that has, through his sort of stringent research, mm. meticulous attention to detail, yeah. and brilliant direction, and of course the fantastic performances in that film, and uh, Anna Taylor Joy, isn't it? She's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and also achieves it. Yeah, Finchie as well from The Office. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember his. I can't remember the yeah, actor's yeah, name. Yeah. He's a really, he's a great actor. Ralph Innocent. I think. Yes, I yeah, think I might. Ralph Innocent. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, he's um, one of those actors, sort of like just pops in and out, but he's always so impactful every time, and he gets quite a sizable role here, which is mm. deserved. He's excellent. I remember funny that just before we move on, the, the witch. One of the scenes that really sticks out in my head, like you say, is a scene of silence. It's just, they're just around a dinner table, not talking to each mm. other, and that is one of the key moments for me because I haven't seen that in a long time, a good few years. And but I just remember that so vividly, that horrible, horrible atmosphere. Uh, and it was all just them sitting around a table, not talking tra- to each other, and you know, it's lit by candles, and that's all you need, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last time yeah. I saw that film, I was on holiday in uh, in Wales, and we were in uh, an Airbnb in a house in Wales, and it was the worst weather I've ever had on a holiday. Oh, but, man. It, but it was awesome because oh, it just okay. felt like it was like the really brutal winds and rain and we were sat with a with a fire watching this film. <laughs> and I know there's something about being in Wales as well. It's like Wales and Cornwall, which is obviously the setting of Ennis Men. Yes. These places always, I guess it's because they're steeped in that sort of Celtic history. Yeah. And they're far removed from the places mm. that we call home yeah. in England that, I don't know, it does feel out in the sticks Big time, and you their know, their mythology hasn't turned into religion either. No. It's just mythology. It's just folklore. It's kind of it's all lost to to time. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Whereas you know, with somewhere more mainland, I would say mainland, but like somewhere you know more central England, you've got a lot more churches and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and the the folklore has morphed into something which people are really familiar with. Yeah, I mean, religion, I guess, in some ways, is almost sort of dominated or, or almost sort of yeah. uh, amalgamated with folklore yeah, in many yeah. cases, and that's yeah. certainly the case with the witch. Perfect. Good. Another film, then. Uh, I've had my shot. Your turn. All right then. Um, uh, all right then. Another Eggers. Uh, another Eggers movie. Lighthouse. Yes. Bloody love it. Fantastic. Uh, I'd say aesthetically, probably the closest to Annie's main. Annie's main. Yeah. Um, 
it's just it doubles down on that atmospheric that witchiness almost mm. uh the story is so abstract and so almost second nature that it, it you sort of descend into madness with these mm. two men uh based on a horrible story real real story that happened um two lighthouse keepers one of them died uh he didn't want to have a rotting corpse in the lighthouse so he put a, a coffin outside the lighthouse and there was a storm and it fell out and the hand um smashed a window or something Robert Eggers based the screenplay for The Lighthouse just on this sort of fisherman's wow. tale. Yeah, okay. It's crazy, yeah. man, really. But it, it, he he kind of adapted the feeling that that story gives you, <laughs> I yeah. feel. Um, yeah, yeah. And then there's some mermaid stuff as well. I don't know. I don't know about that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, what I love so much about that is the mythology there is nautical. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, which, again, ties very much into what we were going to discuss later with Ennis mm. Men. Yeah. Um, and it's about this idea, I think, of like the mythology is in with the sort of attempts to understand, again, the unknown with the ocean. Yeah. And the failed attempts to try and control or dominate it. Yes. I mean, because the lighthouse itself represents this sort of attempt to sort of control mm. the sea. Yeah. It? I mean, you know, people and boats. For those who don't know how a lighthouse works, I, mean, <laughs> just, well, I don't know why I'm even going to bother, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it, it signals you know, boats in and it's almost this way of saying, you know, that you're not at the sea's mercy, you're at the mercy of mankind and the the ingenuity of mankind over the sort of power of the sea, power of nature. But I mean, in this case, it proves fruitless. Yeah. Nature wins a hundred percent from the lighthouse. And it's a lesson that they both learn or, and perhaps take on a little bit earlier with like Willem Dafoe's obsession with the light itself. Yeah. Um, There's almost some sort of like godlike being. Yeah, almost. it's almost like mankind has created this light and the light has been deified. Yeah. And he's just in awe of it. Yeah. Uh, of this kind of false control they think they have over this rock. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the kind of ocean around it. Uh, yeah, definitely, out of all folk horror I can think of at the moment, probably the most similar to Ennis Main. Yeah, I I'd think say. so. Yeah. Mm. And, and another great example. I mean, Eggers is just... For me, I think he's the master's a word that people throw around quite a lot, but I think in terms of the evidence before me, <laughs> you know, he is just someone that knows how to bleed mythology into his stories. And I think it comes from this just sort of ridiculously meticulous uh, amount of research he does in mm. his work. Yeah. Um, if you read like his scripts, um, you know, he even, I think at the start of the witch script, if you've you know, I'd recommend anyone read it, but it's, you know, details how meticulous this sort of um, research was in terms of the the dialect and the mythology oh. that sort of dictated oh, yeah. the lives of these individuals. That's crazy. Yeah, and I think that really shows in his work mm. a great deal. Yeah, And definitely. I think if you're going to do period pieces, he's the guy that you should fucking look to because he's the guy that will, should inspire you just to go that bit deeper because yeah. it will only help your film thematically. Nice. Good and choice. It, yeah, it's almost become the Robert Eggers Appreciation yeah. Podcast. Well, um, I just realised it was my choice as well. <laughs> uh, good choice, Ben. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Um, should we, what about his sort of um, his uh, production company co-owner? Because they've gone into a company together, I believe, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers. Have they? I think oh, they have got a production company together, yes. Okay. And talk about Midsummer Because Midsummer yeah. is, in, is interesting to me because it's the first film we've discussed and one of the first big folk horror films of the last few years 
to move away from English or Cornish or Welsh uh, folklore mm. and into that of another land and almost through the eyes of you know you know western a westerner yeah you know and how we almost uh it's almost like observing another species yeah and almost looking at it with like almost amusement yeah you know yeah because that whole group goes there i mean they get invited by one of the uh, sweet is it sweet yeah swedish yeah swedish housemate isn't it but they are they're like tourists in this sort of um increasingly bizarre scenario and mm. but they go there like sort of to gawp at them really yeah because um, one of the couple of them are doing a study on in sort of yeah local folklore, yeah sort of they? thinly veiled as a a, a, tr- a kind of yeah college trip slash thesis yeah uh, kind of field field studies first really weird um but great yeah i really i love i love midsummer and again it has that atmosphere it has that just uh, tense witch witchy atmosphere yeah. which is odd because it's all in the day I have fucking fair play to them I don't know how they manage that <laughs> yeah just to generate so much tension and fear in daylight mm. um, is a real achievement given that you know horror films tap into that very sort of um, that sort of early human race anxiety around nighttime and the yeah. dangers that that brings mm. another thing I'd like to say about that film as well is and I guess it ties into Ennis Men in the sense that it's that fusion of uh, history and mythology with personal trauma, personal memories. Yes. Um, throughout the film, uh, Florence Pugh's character is obviously dealing with a breakup, what eventually becomes a breakup. Yeah. The suicide of her parents. Yeah. Uh, so these are things that are very, very raw and almost brutally sort of applied throughout the entire of the entirety yeah. of the film slowly and the, it's the way he fuses those things together he fuses and it's almost like humanizing that mythology even more mm, yeah and, and, and suggesting its relevance still no matter how silly it might look to us <laughs> now you know yeah it's you know i totally agree with you. i think that he saw something in the idea of you know grieving and going through a kind of personal trauma like something like a breakup and he saw similarities between that feeling and the the feeling of uncertainty and unknown mm. which comes with cult behavior basically yeah. all these characters are just totally unprepared for just how um extreme the behavior of other cultures can be sometimes mm. Uh, and yeah the marriage of those themes is really genius and isn't easy presumably so fair play yeah indeed great mm. film another great one a very divisive one though I'd say more divisive than the other examples we've discussed yeah it I seems think... to be that film for me um, that whenever I mention it like half the people go brilliant and the other half people go fucking shit yeah, yeah. which I always find really annoying but that's just because I enjoyed the film so much obviously yeah. people are entitled to think it's shit of course but um I can understand. I can understand. The pacing? Yeah, it is quite slow. And like we said before, it, it's unconventional in its uh, use of lighting because it's, yeah. <laughs> it's all in bright sunlight. I think you have to like films like The Wicker Man and you have to have a kind of basic knowledge of films that came before it because especially with that ending like it's pretty much wick- it's a wicker man ending isn't it yeah it is <laughs> and I could say that now because I've seen The Wicker Man. Uh, I agree. I think there's something about the horror genre, I think it is the genre uh, alongside 
you know superhero films for example it's the genre that you sort of know what to expect from it because there are so many mm. films you know found footage films i know they've sort of been and gone a little bit but there are so many films that just have the exact same beats the exact same devices yeah. you know in which they sort of um scare their audience and i think a lot of that just comes down to familiarity yeah and that sense of actually yes i i know what's going to happen in this horror film mm. and that's fine yeah <laughs> and and that's entertaining which i completely get with that's fine you know i'm not yeah. slagging that off but i think where midsummer comes in is that it's a film it's a you know it's a film concerned as much with theme as it is with shock yeah or anything you know any of the other things you would more commonly associate with more sort of run-of-the-mill horror films that tend to sort of be almost a constant in the sort of mainstream yeah. cinematic release the schedule f- the whole film is the scare really yeah like, that's kind of it like and again that's the same with a lot of folk folk horror is it's the entirety of the atmosphere it's it's not ho it's not kind of sharpened to a point and it doesn't all come to a head it's like you're in it for two hours <laughs> yeah and you either you either appreciate it or you just don't care because you're waiting for something to jump out at you which is also fine but um yeah personally yeah. i love that i love that dread that feeling of dread i don't know why yeah i i think it's it's those kinds of horror films that stick with you more mm. they that I mean yeah. midsummer was a horror film that stayed with me for a long time yeah more so than you know half the horror films that i've watched in recent memory you know or certainly around that time and don't be wrong i love the genre i love slashes you know i love all that kind of stuff but i certainly feel like more modern mm. horror films have certainly found their audience and that audience I don't want to say you know, as a sort of broad, general, generalized statement that would probably be unfair and untrue, but they seem to be the people that dislike Midsummer the most. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah. Anyway, let's before we move on to Eddie Spen, <laughs> we're supposed to discuss Eddie Spen. <laughs> I think it would be a miss to not talk about Wicker Man. Okay, fair enough. Which yeah. I would argue is the sort of subgenre, as folk horror is, I think, a subgenre. Yeah, it's the subgenre blueprint. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, it's it's like two thousand and one, a space odyssey. It's what that film is to science fiction. It's the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree, and I think what I find so interesting about that film is about theist, the theistic conflict in that film between organized religion of Christianity. So you've got the uh, detective play. Is it's uh, Sergeant Howe, isn't it? The detective. Yeah, I think Ed- Edward Woodward. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, a devout Christian coming into one of the small last sort of vestiges of paganism. Yes. And that sort of conflict playing out between him and them yeah. and how ultimately that sort of moral outrage and disgust that he frequently espouses is manipulated mm. against him in the film. Yeah, definitely. There's a quite a lot. I remember, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember overwhelmingly feeling like a, a very strong theme in the film was the, the sense of being outnumbered. Because okay. he he is a like you say he's a man of really strong morals and he he kind of arrives there with the view to control mm. and he's just overwhelmed yeah <laughs> by like you said this kind of pagan cults and yeah. and they attempt to at the beginning they kind of attempt to ease him into it don't they with like folk songs yeah and that bit yeah. where she's like smacking the wall yeah and yeah, singing yeah that singing that really Trying to sort of yeah. Beckon him in with her siren song. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you got the the kind of the scene which the iconic ending really uh, of the burning of the the Wicker Man spoilers. <laughs> the yeah, bur- yeah, the burning out, it's from the seventies. Uh, yeah, the burning of the Wicker Man itself, which is just um, a really unexpected 
and uh, really striking image and is probably the reason why a lot of other folk horror films use fire as a motif yeah yeah just i mean like we were discussing midsummer is it's just the same isn't it yeah yeah because i think fire is obviously associated with the devil could you say it's maybe sort of anchored in a sort of primal past as well yeah definitely i would say about the film and i've sort of felt a bit stupid afterwards but the sort of unease of the film didn't really become obvious to me till the credits were rolling. Okay. The way that the sort of film deploys that folk music. Yeah. Uh, or the sort of uh, the pagan imagery throughout. Obviously, mm. it's sort of unnerving. But yeah. it only becomes really apparent when you realise that he's obviously being manipulated to be the guy that burns in the wicker man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> It only, yeah, it only became apparent then and it all sort of slots into place mm. and you realise how uneasy the whole thing makes you feel. Yeah, and they, he's never in control at no. all. He's which is something he would used to be, being a representative of the law of mm. the land yeah. and a land of which is Christian, yeah. where you are overwhelmingly the yeah. most dominant religion. He's respected, yeah. presumably as an authority figure. Yeah. And then he just gets plonked in this wicker fellow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just burnt. Oh. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I love it. And the ending was particularly impactful, I thought. Brilliant mm. ending. Good stuff. Good. Well, we would be amiss not to talk about yes. Wicker Man for sure. Right. Any's Men then. Any's Men. Uh, sort of touched on in the intro. It's uh, a world away from his previous film, isn't it? I mean, Bait certainly has elements of exploration of sort of mythology and folklore. Yeah. Um, but. It's certainly far more prominent here, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's at the forefront. Uh, Even more so than perhaps narrative coherency is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually think... Um, I don't think that's... Ne- For me, that wasn't a weakness, but no. I, I could see why some people think it might be. I just... I thought it was a really bold move by Mark Jenkin to... I think so. To just kind of say, I'm not doing another bait. I'm not, I'm not going to even touch on what's going on with Cornwall anymore. I've said what I need to say about that. I just want to tell this story. Uh, it's in my head, and it's very much in his head by the, by the looks of things. Like, mm. it's not... There's not a thread to follow at all. Uh, it's witchy, though. It's bloody oh, yeah. witchy, mate. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. I was ready to be enveloped by that as well. When I went to see it, I was in a kind of good place for it. Uh, I don't know if you ever stood in the middle of a really sparse moorland, like, you know, like proper Wuthering Heights territory. Okay, yeah. Um... It's really isolating. Um, you sort of feel really helpless and lonely because there's nothing for sound to bounce off. Um, okay. And you have no influence over your surroundings all of a sudden. Um, so, you, you know, you can't mute the sound of the wind or the waves, can you? Um, so it almost feels like the environment's having more of an influence over you all of a sudden. That's what I would f- describe watching any men. <laughs> as yeah. A, yeah, 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 agreed. It's, yeah, it's just it's just that feeling in film form. I, I I completely agree, and I think it speaks a lot to Jenkins' use of sound and music. Mm. Um, it's almost such a sort of analog audio bombardment. I mean, yeah. the whole film is like an analog bombardment because yeah, Jenkins famously, I guess you, I I think famously is the right word. Yeah. hand cranks his all of his own footage and cuts I, it all himself yeah. and makes all of the music himself. Yes, he does. He's a bit of a one-man band in that respect. I mean, unbelievable. He has um, great, you know, he's, he's very open to collaboration, I think, but um, he does like to have that control, doesn't he? And uh, it, sh- it shines, I think, in this Yeah, in this it's film. a singular vision mm. from a director that wants to convey 
this this story of you know Cornish mythology, Cornish history, but interweaving it into a very personal story of memory, specifically mm. trauma around that memory, That's the uh, trauma within memories. You know, yeah, all yeah. the memories of trauma. Sorry, um, and I think the way he fuses those things together. It suggests this sort of strength of bond between the the people that are born and raised in the place and the mm. place itself, okay, and the history yeah, yeah. of that place. You yeah, know? and how you can kind of bump into the history. Yeah, it's it's so deep rooted in us in ways that we perhaps don't acknowledge. Yeah, um, I think it's almost quite, you know, when you sort of when you're it's just going a bit off piece, but when you're mm. sort of uh, young and you you almost um, spouse a disliking for where you're from. Mm. it's almost like a natural part of you to sort of go oh this is shit I don't like it I want to go somewhere else and experience something else but as you get older I think that sense of place within you becomes more apparent Yeah, and you feel that sort of longing to be around it and when you return to it it's yeah it's not nothing else it's funny because it's not explicitly stated that she is from there no you kind of I mean there's I don't know I don't know if I can call them flashbacks but it's her younger self who i i feel like she bumps into yeah um so she she, there's a there's a kind of an an event uh involving her falling off a roof yeah which leads her to have this scar Mm -hmm. um reminded me what happens with that scar um i I guess we could sort of just say spoilers yeah 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 that lichen starts to grow out of it yeah that kind of is just a perfect illustration of what you were saying of and what and what I was saying earlier about folk horror is when that lichen starts to grow on her. It, I I did sort of think it was a, a kind of a, yeah like a metaphor for the landscape in swallowing her back up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she's sort of returning to to her roots mm. uh, against her will a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it reminded me of the fountain as well. Do you remember that bit in the fountain when all those flowers grow out of him? Oh, I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, it just reminded yeah, yeah. me a little bit of that. Underrated um, Aronofsky. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think because of her succumbing to this sort of sparse, isolating landscape, that's why you get that, that lichen growing on her. Maybe that's just my interpretation. This is very much open to interpretation. I feel this absolutely. Film. I think the the way that Jenkin almost does away with narrative in a coherent sense. Of course, there is a somewhat slight narrative strand going through it in terms of the mm. use of quote unquote flashbacks. Yeah, a lot uh, of re- repetition. As repetition, well. yes, repetition. exactly. Just what I was, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, the use uh-huh. of repetition in terms of the mundanity of routine, almost, and how sort of nightmarish and how sort of uneasy that can make you feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a, in a sense, I feel like the narrative. This might be a bit of a a plain way of interpreting it, but it, she is just going uh, insane. The, you know, as the days start to blend together, the past starts to blend with that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I think that's totally fine just to have a film about a woman going insane on an island and mm. losing her grip on reality as the very, very tedious and banal task of looking after these flowers starts to become. And her rituals start to change as history catches catches up to her mm. a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think another thing I re- I find really uh, sort of chilling about it is just the act of isolate- isolating oneself. Okay. I yeah. don't know if that's something that it's certainly not universal. Cause I think a lot of people like to sequester themselves mm. into sort of uh, hidden parts of the world, the last sort of hidden parts of the world. But I don't know. Like I feel like 
tales of isolation seem to be more impactful in terms of generating a sense of unease or mm. some of the feelings that come with that sort of folk horror tag. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why that's why this film could definitely be labelled a folk horror is mainly because of this this very brutal, unrelenting atmosphere it sort of yeah. generates. Um, so yeah, in tandem with isolation and like big witchiness. I think the yeah, like like we already discussed, has a tremendous sense of history, or maybe past, present, and future exist existing as one, um, which I which um, <laughs> which I actually sort of found uh, was the only similarity between this and his previous film Bait. So it is tradition and progress at odds with each other, really. Yeah, They're kind of bumping into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the volunteer is being consumed by this landscape, she's also being consumed by its history. Uh, Cornwall's got a really long history of mining, doesn't it? So yeah. she's constantly unearthing artefacts left over from that period. So you've got that, that rusty machinery, but then she also finds the operators of that machinery. And they've left their imprint on this landscape. Uh, it's it's really psychologically frightening. I don't know why those miners scared me so much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they yeah, just, they yeah. were just a really um, they they're not they're not malignant, but no. their very presence is just odd and very un- unusual. Uh, there's a stone as well, the standing stone. Yes, um, sort of key, mm. almost almost characterized by the yes. sort of use of sound and yeah, and, yeah, and um, quite difficult to date apparently. These stones. Oh, really? I looked into it a little bit. Like they're they're really difficult to place in terms of when they were put there. Right. <laughs> I okay. guess. Uh, and uh, what? Yeah. Like what a wonderful way to reinforce this dark, uncontextualizable feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, there's a point where the stone disappears, and I sort of thought that was meant to signify that she's arrived at a time before the stone existed. Oh, so she's almost time travelled. Yeah, it's a weird way to describe it—the time travel thing. But yeah, yeah, it, it's <laughs> sorry, yeah, true. yeah, no, no, you're no, totally I, right. I, I like that. I don't, mm. I not considered that um, that idea at all. Yeah, and even though the film is sort of rooted in these various moments in which humankind has, like you said, shaped the landscape, and, yeah, and yeah. those sort of scars on the landscape mm. are still present, or yeah. the artifacts that they leave. Yeah still there i like that yeah interesting and then you know in the same way that the scars that she's got oh uh kind of oh yeah oh yeah because of like a david brent sort of finger joint (laughs) moment there (laughs) yeah oh my god i've just discovered what any's men means about any's main (laughs) i keep saying any's men it's apparently it's any's main which is uh actually cornish for executive decision (laughs) (laughs) no no no. it's cornish for stone i just imagined the whole film but with Steven Seagal. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I really didn't like about it. Yeah. Lack no, of Seagal. Lack of Seagal, yeah. Yeah. yeah Jenkins and him were in talks, but just, <laughs> just couldn't, yeah, it wouldn't work out. But um, it's funny, like, you know, you're meant to, you're invited to uh, project meaning onto the stone, I think, yourself as an audience member. I think so. I think that that idea of injecting meaning is something you can sort of take not just from the stone, but the whole film. Mm. I think when you have a narrative like that, we talked about this earlier, one of our earlier podcasts about, I think it was Alien, this idea of ambiguity and how yes. ambiguity in, in cinema is sort of a, a lost art. Yeah. And one of the, but one of the great strengths of it is that it allows more space for viewer to imprint their own experiences and aspects of themselves. Mm. 
yeah. onto the film. And thus, I think, create a stronger relationship and some a relationship that will perhaps be more impactful in terms of how you've... Um, what aspects of yourself have you imparted onto the film? Yeah. And how that's helped you to sort of come to better conclusions about not just the film, but yourself. Yeah. I, Without sounding too wanky. Or no, no, no. Deep. I agree. I think it's funny because I feel like almost everyone in England has a memory of a, of like a stone artifact like that. Because you go on holiday, they're sort of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Especially but, in Cornwall, which yeah. is like the go-to place for so many English holiday makers, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. And so everyone will have a memory of looking at something like that mm. and just thinking, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, in this film, it looked a little bit like a a statue of a, a woman, I thought, like with, oh, okay. a big, with a big skirt. I don't know why, but that may, <laughs> that might have just been my imprint on it. A bit of a strange imprint. Yeah, weirdly, yeah. But, uh, sort of like some bizarre sort of Rorschach test. Yeah, moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole film is like a Rorschach test, yeah. basically. Like a sort of, uh, yeah, coloured sort of auditory bombardment in auditory bombardment form <laughs> yeah no I like that a lot mm. uh, a great deal I um, yeah I, do you do know I, I thought uh, Mark Jenkins use of 16mm uh, you know the hand crank camera yeah didn't know that until recently I knew it was 16mm didn't know it was fucking hand cranked so I that's know, incredible what a fucking labour of love that is <laughs> Jesus, right? Jesus Christ yeah I actually thought it felt more at home in Ennis Men than it did in Bait do you know why I don't know why okay I, I, I like I love Bait a lot I think it's fantastic but it does it leans into that experimental visual style that can mm-hmm. be quite off-putting for some people i didn't mind it at all i want to kind of make that clear but i, th- I feel like it did pretend like because the themes are so universal mm. it might have perhaps intentionally held it back from a bit more of a broader a broader audience although it did do tremendously well in that respect it continues to do tremendously well it's opening up in new cinemas isn't it is it mm. oh man there you go i eat my words but no i i thought it was employed better in these men i don't know why i just thought like the kind of graininess of it uh it suited a, a film with less dialogue perhaps yeah i mean i mean i know that the attempt at the dialogue in his films is almost there's almost a distance to the use of to the sound recording of dialogue which i mm. think is tremendously effective in both films. Yeah. I just think, like, in terms of... If you're going to use a visual language like that, having a film, having, like, a folk horror film at, at the centre is just marvellous because those... It just looks grainy. It looks dirty, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's got such a texture to it. Yeah. Uh, the visuals have kind of been marred by the setting and the landscape. And it's really... Yeah, so it's, like, a really weathered-looking film. And it pro- it plonks you right in, in the thick of the island. With that in mind, I just thought it was it was really well suited. So it's like a triple history. It's like the hip, the history of the landscape, the history of the character, yeah. and the history of the medium. Yeah, yeah. All running parallel to one another. Bloody hell. Ah. Didn't think of it like that. Ooh. <laughs> Another Brent moment there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think what I loved about the film, because I really enjoyed it as well, um, uh, it's funny when, uh, when the sort of credits rolled and everyone stood up, quite a lot of people audibly revealed their displeasure with the film ah uh, yeah and I think I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of the film I think maybe that says more about expectation in terms of mm. maybe people going in expecting more something like bait I don't yeah. know because or- bait is definitely experimental in lots of ways but there is a narrative there that is perhaps a little bit easier to grab hold of yeah and like I say it's more universal it- <laughs> bait had more of a grasp on current affairs <laughs> 
yeah you know, like this the, in the whole kind of cornish well, the sec- lost second home second stuff. home yeah, yeah yeah and the way that's having detrimental impact on the people that have spent their whole lives and their whole yeah. histories and lineages and yeah. families of living there i mean mm. it's crazy how that's allowed to materialize yeah whereas like so bait was a, a critical look at that and his men isn't really critical of anything mm. uh, and maybe people were expecting something more socially conscious uh i think it would have been weird <laughs> if the if uh, a kind of folk folk horror film about a, one woman being on an island was somehow critical of the current the current time i guess yeah um that would have been odd but yeah like you say i i agree I, it's funny you mention that actually because there was a few people i remember hearing when i left the cinema we went to see it separately and yeah there was a lot of people that didn't like it uh, mm. or yeah or at least initially uh thought well, yeah ha- had quite a lot of negative stuff to say just basically the, like what the fuck was that film about like that yeah. that was kind of their initial reaction but i think that's the sort of uh, the, the game you play when you make a film like this like mm. you know some people are going to really get on with it and people aren't i mean I know that sounds like a sort of a, a sort of vague and basic thing to say but if you're making a film that is narratively vague, yeah, structurally more akin to like an art house film experience, yeah, then you are going to alienate people who yeah. aren't necessarily as either well versed or as interested in that kind of experience. Yeah, no. But I think for people that are willing to settle into its rhythm, it will reward you deeply. And I think I like the idea of you saying that the film shies away from these grand statements. I think it it replaces that with something that is deeply personal. Yeah. Clearly personal to Jenkin mm. in the sense that it's about Cornish history and mythology, but also about the character's own traumas and, and memories. Yeah. And I think in a way that feels deeply affecting, even though you're given scraps in which to sort of take, to construct, sorry, this, um, mm. this, this history of this individual, it's more than enough to make, to leave a powerful impression. Mm. Certainly on me. I mean, yeah, oh, definitely. I I thought about it. I've been thinking about it for quite a while. Uh, it's got a good soundtrack. Oh, I say soundtrack. It's a score, really, by Jenkin, I guess. Mm. Um, and that really aids the tone as well. Like a lot of folk horror has a really good, really unnerving soundtrack. Um, yeah. If I, I were to criticise it, it was the sound design was a bit loud. I don't know if this might be in the cinema that I went into. Do you, did you find that? I remember thinking that the the, the 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 use of the soundtrack was incredibly loud. Yeah. Uh, because I know folk horrors generally. I mean, you know, obviously the the use of the score in any film is to dictate mood and tempo, but yeah. particularly here. Um, yeah. But I wondered if that was a deliberate choice. I don't know if that's more to do with the sound system in the in the cinema I watched it in. Yeah. But I prefer to think of it as like a deliberate choice. If it's going to bombard you, then it better do it properly. And I think. Yeah. That radio is fucking loud yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> my god yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 that was perhaps the most sort of um yeah, rousing yeah yeah uh another thing this is very but this is a very personal gripe um and it's probably intentional uh because of like you mentioned before the way he constructs his films is very very analog uh it's got lens dirt all over it man there's like uh <laughs> he's clear obviously you know you've seen on set photos that it's crew of like four or five just out in the sticks filming this thing and it's a very very commendable but yeah, there's these annoying dark blurry circles and um, I'd, f- 
form in my like line of work it's uh <laughs> i've sort of trained to look for them and um and remove them basically <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh and they were all there and i was it was just odd seeing those at the cinema like in a finished product of something which otherwise was really really polished um it was just it personally annoyed me and probably you know 0.01 percent of all other people that watched it as well <laughs> i don't That's know why. Interesting. i mean yeah. to me I, I mean to me i just thought it was all part of that mm. tied into the sort of whole film stock grain aesthetic to me so to me i didn't even this is it mind. it's it's probably it might well be a rule of his that he doesn't do any mm. uh any visual effects shots other than maybe painting out a pylon or something i'd um, be interested to know if there was a lot of that done in, in post yeah i don't know i mean mm. if if there was it was very good because i didn't notice anything uh, apart from that one shot where she kind of gets flung backwards by that the stone do you remember which oh yeah. Talking yeah, about? yeah 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 that yeah. was a vfx shot but apart from that uh i couldn't can't think of one maybe they probably had to paint the stone out when the stone was gone um but yeah i just it it, it was probably entirely intentional it was probably like on a, almost a, a dogma 95-esque rule he imposed on himself because <laughs> like right i'm processing this and i'm cutting it into my film and that's it yeah uh, and that would be very much in the spirit of jenkin i think so, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It annoyed me, but you know, who, who am I? Who am I to? <laughs> I haven't made a film. So. No, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's good that you bring those sort of things to the table. Oh. There's sort of little, there's there's little niggles because I think you know. Yeah, yeah. We we pretty much wax lyrical about most of the films that we've uh, discussed mm. or the episodes that we plan to discuss a film. So it's nice to have those little conversation <laughs> points. Strange annoyance, yeah, bugbears of mine. But there you go. I think um, what I sort of enjoyed most about the film is that treatment of memory. Okay. Um, I think the, myth- the mythological element is obviously crucial to the film, mm. and that's also something I enjoy because I'm fascinated by by uh, folklore. I really yeah. am, and I think that I think that part of the reason for that fascination is because of its resurgence, as we've discussed earlier. Mm. But I think the way memories are treated as these sort of um, this sort of fractious, fleeting moment, intensely presented moments that just flash into your mind. Yeah, and I think that's something that really stuck out for me. Is that whenever I think about something that's really embarrassing for me, or something that I'm really not proud of, or a ha- even a happy memory, like yeah. it's intense. Yeah, intense in the way your brain presents it. It's like a flash, and then you sort of make a decision then whether you want that memory to sort of stay rent-free in your head or you drive it back into the deepest, darkest parts of your mind. Um, And I just think the way the film presented that, to me, was uh, one of my absolute favourite things about it. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. That's funny you said that because the the memory thing wasn't... I didn't get that from the film as much. I can understand where you're coming from, uh, particularly with the... um, the younger version of herself. I, I think it's the younger version of herself in it. Um, it's funny because initially I assumed it was like a daughter. Yes, me too. Yeah, yeah until yeah. she falls through the spoiler, yeah. the <laughs> sort of the roof, mm. um, and then resulting in a wound that is. Yeah. But my, I think the prevailing. Identical. Yeah. <laughs> the, the prevailing theme for me was just the, the isolation and the landscape swallowing mm. someone up. That's what I got from it. So it's funny that you got something mm. almost entirely different. Uh, although I, I can un- I can kind of understand where you're coming from with that. Yes, with that theme being brought to the forefront. I was maybe just in a different headspace. I was maybe well, just we all are. And that's yeah, again we yeah. talk about the idea of ambiguity allowing us to 
you know, put our impressions on the film, and there's the perfect example. Two yeah. very different readings of it. Perfect. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the ambiguity was when when we talked about after song, wasn't it? it? Was about um, yes, we did. Yeah, how that that can be employed well or badly, and it was employed well in this one as well. I think just a really good use of a lack of narrative, and that could have gone really badly wrong. I think the runtime helps as well. If this was two hours, I think I might have. I might have started to come back to earth a little bit, okay. but it was a really good length as well. It was a nice, succinct hour and a half. Yeah, and it it said what it needed to say. It left you looking at the island at the end, and that was it. That's yeah, mm. yeah. I think I think you're right about length. I mean, don't be wrong. I, if if a film, I like a good long film, but that mm. you can't underestimate the quality of or the power. Sorry, of a good quality ninety minute film. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No. Excellent film. Yeah, really. I, re- I really, really, really loved it. I'm really intrigued to see where he goes next. Yeah, where can he go from here? Because, I mean, he's done Bates, which was very popular and very successful. He's done Any's Men, which is almost like a, a sophomore effort, a lot more experimental mm. in terms of narrative anyway. A lot less accessible, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. I mean, it's presumably going to be set in Cornwall again. Yeah, I wonder if I was thinking that, like... I think even during the film, I don't know, I remember having to sort of say to myself, no, think about this afterwards, but mm. like, where do you go after that? Do you stay in the area you know and love so well or mm. do you expand yourself further afield and what will be the impact of that? Yeah. I'd be really fascinated to see where he goes. I mean, regardless of what he does, I will follow keenly yes. and um, will watch, obviously. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd be really intrigued to see where he goes next. Same. Yeah. Well, there we go. Good stuff. Leave it there. Leave it there. Questing the cinematic void. So there we go there, another outro. Uh, thanks for making it this far. We mm. very much appreciate it, as yeah, always. Thank you. Very much enjoyed that discussion. It yeah. was nice to talk about uh, another great film, but also a film that I would say we've got a bit of a personal connection to, haven't yeah, we? On the do. basis of the fact we both studied it Falmouth, yes. which is in Cornwall, mm. a place that's very special to both of our hearts. Obviously, we're not locals, yeah. but uh, it was a place that took us in and looked mm. after us very well for three years. Yeah, wonderful three years spent there. And also, I guess, uh, maybe you more than me, but a sort of relationship with the director as well. Yeah, no, yeah. So he was also a, a lecturer at Falmouth as well. So um, we yeah. both kind of... Makes it feel sort of, I don't know, special in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Because again, I didn't really speak to him very often, but yeah, I don't know, same. just knowing that, I don't know. There's something nice about that. I no, think. that is good. It's, it's, I feel bizarrely proud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. 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 Does, he doesn't need it. Does, he doesn't need yeah. our pride, but yeah. So our, good, our dear friend Lee told, us, told me about bait, and I was like, what? Mark Jenkins directed a yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Cr- crept up with us, didn't it? Yeah. Which is kind of a bit embarrassing to, to yeah. admit, being that we're film students and from Falmouth University. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so. Uh, uh, another dear friend of ours, Alfie, has a film that he's making at the moment and he wants to put on the poster from the students of the director of Bait. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to jump on it. Oh, man. Yeah, got to jump on it. Yeah, I might have to ask him. But. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, moving on to our next episode. Yes. So, a couple of quite interesting releases coming up, or films that are currently already out. Mm. I thought it'd be interesting to go with Babylon. Yeah, okay. Director Damien Chazelle returning with a, what looks to me, anyway, from the brief trailers I've seen, a very sort of nostalgia-laden yeah. uh, exploration of sort of the more debauched side of classic Hollywood. Yes, interesting. I think it will be an interesting place to start a discussion on the self-reflective nature of Hollywood. Okay. Uh, yeah. And we can talk about some of our favourite examples. 
Yeah. And then obviously lean into the film itself. And you wanted to talk about Damien Chazelle himself and his career because you're quite a fan, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I do. I like uh, I like two of his films a lot. And then there's one other one which I admire from a distance. Okay. Um, but I, gen- I yeah, I'm a, a big Chazelle fan, uh, despite the fact I've never really been that into jazz. Odd. <laughs> yes, um, but yeah, no. Uh, I think uh, it's he's a really interesting director. A very yeah, in terms of his, kind of him applying modern sensibilities to classic Hollywood tropes. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Tune in next week for that. Indeed, right. Mm. Well, have a lovely week, and uh, you'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.